0: really. I never meant to do it. I never meant to preach 94 sermons from the first 26 chapters of Deuteronomy. I didn't. My plan was 28, the entire book and 28 sermons, and well, you know what happened with, with that. And when we go back to Deuteronomy, we still have eight chapters left to cover, and we will go back. But here I am doing it again with John chapter 21. You know, after Easter, I wasn't ready to, to leave the newly resurrected Jesus, so I wanted to spend just one more week in John 21, looking at this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. But one week turned into two weeks, and two weeks has turned into three weeks, and well, I can't predict the future, so who, who knows? But we are returning this morning to... John chapter 21, and we're just going to talk about one thing. We're going to talk about sheep. Sheep that must be fed. Jesus says so. But who are the sheep? Who is supposed to feed the sheep? What does it mean to feed the sheep? Those are questions that we need to ask, questions that we need to answer, so that the kingdom of God can advance here on earth. So, I want to ask you, if you have your Bible with you, to turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew rack in front of you. And when you found your place in John, chapter 21, I'm going to ask you to stand so we can hear read together the word of the living God. John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 12, this is the word of the Lord. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we come before you now as needy people, we need you, Lord, to be the one to feed us from your word, to reveal your truth to us, to give us minds to understand it, hearts, Lord, to love your truth and to embrace it, lifestyles that live it out. So we submit ourselves to you now, to the truth of your word. And ask you to do in us and through us only what you can do by the power of your spirit. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I realize that this is a, a very familiar passage. And because of that, some of you may have some expectations about what you're going to hear this morning. You Get a little excited. Craig is going to talk about the two different words that that John uses for love, phileo and agape, and how, how they're different, and why Jesus uses one of uh, uh, the f- forms and why Peter won't. No, we're not talking about that. Eh. Maybe we say, oh, good. Grace is going to talk about uh, why, why Jesus says lambs one time and sheep the other time. That's going to be really good. Why, why does Jesus do that? No, eh, we're not going to talk about that either. We could speculate on those things all day long. There are probably good reasons for both of them, but that's not going to take our attention. This morning I want us to consider what is really plain in this passage to you and to me. And here's what's plain. Jesus asks the same question three times. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter answers the same question. Answer three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus then gives the same commission three times. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Now that is a lot of repetition. If you were here last week, you remember that we said that John chapter 21 is the story that had to be told. John's gospel ended with the last verses of chapter 20. Jesus did other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The end. But then John adds this next chapter, this other chapter, chapter 21. Either he wrote it or someone dictated it for him or perhaps even an elder in the church at Ephesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this story that John had told so many times. And so all these years after Jesus died and was resurrected, 50 years, maybe as many as 65 years later, this story is written, Because people still need to hear this commission. People still need to think through what Jesus is requiring here. People need to continue to ask, what does it mean to feed the sheep? Who are the sheep? Is this commission only for Peter? Or does Jesus intend for others to be involved in sheep feeding? And if so, who are they? These are the important questions that need to be asked and answered from this passage. So this morning we need to consider some of those. We can't answer them all, but maybe in the future we will. Let's consider first this question. Who are the sheep? Easy enough. Clearly we know that by sheep, Jesus means people. Sometimes Jesus refers to people as fish. As in his parables or when he famously calls Peter and James and John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But both here and in an extended passage in John chapter 10, Jesus refers to people as sheep and to himself as the good shepherd. So sheep are people, right? But which people are sheep? Who are the sheep? Who would you identify them to be? Many Christians read this passage and they say, well, that's easy enough. They are Jesus' sheep when they are in the fold. So they see this passage as a a passage on discipleship. This passage teaches us to, to care for one another, to feed one another, to teach one another, to teach people who belong to Jesus, who are already in the church. Fair enough. I agree with that. It's certainly something that we should do. But then I found myself asking this question When do Jesus' sheep become Jesus' sheep? When did you become Jesus' sheep? The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So when is it that Jesus saw you as a sheep. Well, I guess I could ask, when did Jesus not see you as a sheep? See, according to Scripture, Jesus wasn't waiting for you to do something deserving of becoming a sheep. Jesus wasn't up in heaven watching and waiting, hoping, cheering you on. Do something good. Do something worthy. Do something so that I can choose you to be one of my sheep. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. It isn't your merit. It isn't my merit that causes Jesus to choose us. It's his merit, his righteousness. It's because he is worthy that we become sheep. When no one else in your life would have called you a sheep. When you wouldn't have called yourself a sheep, Jesus did. He called you a sheep. And so he sent someone to you, to take care of you, to feed you, to bring you into the fold. So, who are the sheep around us? Or for you good Presbyterians, are there any good Presbyterians in this place? (laughs) Who are the elect of God? Who are the elect of God? Name them. Tell me, who are they? I'll wait. Who are the elect of God? I'm waiting. Oh, that's right. You don't know, do you? And neither do I. We can't name them. We don't know who they are. But I expect that they are good people who are living around us. They have everything they need. Life is good for them, life is comfortable, life is convenient, they have a nice house, a couple of kids who are relatively well behaved, and so they have no felt need for Jesus or for your religion. I expect that there are others living around us right now who are steeped in sin. In other words, they are living in sin and they are loving their sin, and you're not going to convince them that their life isn't good. I expect there could be others around us who are bitter, who are angry, angry with God, far from God. But I'm absolutely sure that there are people around us. There are people around us right now who God chose in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Are they not his sheep? When they are acting the the prodigal. When they're far from home. When they're living with and wallowing in the pig sty. For he chose us. And him before the creation of the world. You and I, we don't know who Jesus' sheep are. And you and I, we do not know. Where the good shepherd is. In his process of bringing those people into the fold. I wonder if some of you were not considered an improbable or an unlikely sheep. I can't make that claim. I was church boy. People would be shocked if I wasn't in church. You know what I'm saying? But some of you, that's a different story. Before the Lord did his amazing work in your life that you did not expect that you weren't asking for. Like the Apostle Paul on his way to the town of Damascus. He was happy to be going there because when he got there, he was going to find the Christians and he was going to persecute them, kill them if necessary. That's what Paul was up to. And you know the story. While he walked around on the road to Damascus, a flash of light, the voice of Jesus, boom, Paul is converted. Maybe just that unexpectedly, the Spirit of God breathed life into your lifeless soul. And now here you are in the fold. All around us are people who Jesus considers my sheep. Some are in the fold. Some are, as the song says, wandering on the mountain cold and bare. But they need to be brought into the fold. They are Jesus' sheep. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. What if I told you that only 17% of people living on the peninsula here in Charleston attend church. 17%. That's the statistic I heard this week from a church planter. I have not confirmed that myself, but that's what I was told by a church planter. 17%, only 17% of the people on the peninsula go to church. So how many of the remaining 83% does Jesus call my sheep? Because he chose them and him before the foundation of the world. How are we going to reach that 83%? Raise your hand if you vote for installing a fog machine here in the sanctuary. That would be great, wouldn't it? I'd love having a little fog come up while I'm preaching. That'd be great. Raise your hand if you vote for installing lights. Wouldn't that be awesome? We have this big light show. We'll reach those 83%. Fog and lights, how could we possibly miss? Or how about installing a sheep radar? (laughs) Really, could there be such a thing? We could install it in our hearts and in our minds. And then we could ask that the Lord would activate it while you and I move around in the world and around the people that he's put around us looking for those who might be his sheep. Because that's Jesus' call in our lives. Feed my sheep. Secondly, we need to ask, who is to do the feeding? Clearly Jesus can't be limiting this call only to the apostle Peter. Because if that were the case, as soon as the people died who who Peter had fed, that would be the end of Christianity. One generation, boom, it's done. So I think clearly the call goes to more than just Peter. So I want to talk about what kind of person it is who should be feeding the sheep. And we can do that by looking at Peter's life. I think the first qualification for feeding sheep is being a broken person. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And each of those three questions probably correspond to the three times that Peter Denied knowing Jesus. To the servant girl who said this man was with Jesus, Peter said, woman, I don't know him. To the man who said, you are one of them also, Peter replied, man, I'm not. To the next man who said, certainly, this fellow was with Jesus for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times, Peter denied Jesus. And make no mistake, it crushed his soul. Luke tells us in chapter 22 that after Peter denied knowing Jesus for the third time, the rooster crowed. And Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside. And wept bitterly. His soul was crushed. Certainly they were tears of guilt. They were tears of disgust over his denials. Revelatory tears. This is what is in me. Shocking tears. This is what I'm capable of. So yeah, Peter is broken. He's stripped of any illusions ...about himself. And he's laid bare before the Lord. But more importantly, Peter's also forgiven. He's broken, but he's forgiven. It's only the amazing grace. we so trite to us now. Amazing grace, amazing grace. Amazing grace that Jesus would initiate this conversation... ...with Peter on the beach... Peter is forgiven, and Jesus wants Peter to know that he's forgiven. By repeating this commission three times, feed my sheep. Peter also knows that that Jesus isn't through with him. Jesus is reinstating Peter here as a disciple. And by calling Peter in verse 19 to follow me, Peter and Jesus are right back where they were at the beginning, when they first met. And when Jesus called Peter, he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You can always start over with Jesus. Clean slate with Peter. You can always start over with Jesus. You can always start over with Jesus. Thank you. Don't make me call on my Baptist brother Parr here to do the amening. You can always start over with Jesus. So because this story is included, every reader, every hearer of John's gospel will know that someone who has failed as miserably as Peter failed can still be used by the Lord. So it's broken people, it's forgiven people who can be in the sheep feeding business. And so, guess what? We are left without excuse whatever excuses we use and there are many by which we place ourselves on the sidelines by which we place ourselves on the bench oh no not someone like me i'm too this i'm too that i'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not excuses excuses not to be in the sheep feeding business this passage tells us that the grace of jesus is extended to failures like peter Failures like us, and so we are without excuse in accepting this commission to go into the world and to feed Jesus' sheep. See, for too long, the church has tolerated a a stratification in the church, a spiritual caste system, as if Scripture allows for two different kinds of Christians. You know, normal Christians who profess faith, but really they live like they want to live. They accommodate the culture. Faith and life don't intersect very often because, you know, separation of church and state and all that stuff. And then there are the super Christians who study their Bible, who pray, who go to community group. (gasps) What? Community group? Who get involved in ministry, who even go on the mission field those are the super christians see the monastic movement early in our history as a church put this stratification in our dna late 300s christianity is declared to be oh this is the official religion of rome and so overnight literally pagan priests became church priests and people started calling themselves christians Though they didn't really believe, they, they went to church, they called themselves Christians, but really weren't, so what happens? Well, these monastics, have to, these people aren't Christians. We have to show what true Christians are. So they go off on this monastic movement, and then the church can always say, people in the pews, well, we might not be so much, but look, look over there. Oh, look at those monks. See how they live? They're the super Christians. We'll leave all the ministry and all the work to them. So from our earliest history, We have tolerated two kinds of Christians. Real Christians and nominal Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Classic distinction. This is what he's hitting at when he talks about cheap grace and costly grace. Many of you have probably read his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship. In that book, Bonhoeffer writes this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Conversely, he writes about costly grace. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It's costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It's grace because Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Bonhoeffer writes further, as the voice of God in the same book, as if God is saying, discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend, it must transcend all comprehension. Plunge into the deep waters beyond your own comprehension, and I will help you to comprehend as I do. Bewilderment is true comprehension. Not to know where you're going is the true knowledge. My comprehension transcends yours. And that's what's happening here on the beach with Peter. Jesus is forgiving him. Jesus commissioning Peter to plunge in to all that will certainly be bewildering to Peter. We know what's coming for Peter, don't we? When the Spirit comes... When Peter stands up and preaches to thousands of people without ever having taken a public speaking class. And there he is. And not only is he preaching, but people, 3,000 of them respond to this extemporaneous sermon that he just stood up and preached. Bewildering. Beyond comprehension. As are the healings and the other miracles that Peter performs. Beyond his comprehension. Yet Jesus simply calls it discipleship. And so this scene on the beach takes away the stratification, the caste system. Because the grace and forgiveness of the Lord is equally available to all of us. And so this interview on the beach takes away all of our excuses and calls us to come off of the sideline, to get off of the bench. When Jesus asks you... And me, do you love me? And we answer, yes, Lord, yes, I love you. We demonstrate that love. We show that it's real and true by caring for others in an intentional way. By taking care of each other, those in the household of faith, absolutely. That's our in-reach part of community groups here at Redeemer. We take care of one another. We pray for one another. We provide for one another. That's what we should do. We come together on Sunday mornings of a family, supremely important, because when we come here, we focus on Jesus, the one who is the head of, of the body, the church, the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between, the one who in all things, Scripture says, all things, all things must be preeminent he must take first place. We focus on Him and our souls are fed. We must do that. But we cannot limit our care and help only to one another. Please understand this passage as missional as well. We limit the passage when we emphasize the picture of sheep already in the fold. In John chapter 10, Jesus told the disciples, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now I realize that in this passage, Jesus is talking about the Gentiles. Fair enough, that just makes the point. Jesus is talking to Jews, those already in the fold, about those who are outside of the fold, but must be brought in. Feeding sheep is missional. That's a good thing to say together. Feeding sheep is missional. Say it with me. Feeding sheep is missional. We do damage to the passage as well. And we rob it of its missional aspect when we view sheep as poor and dumb. How many sermons have you heard about how dumb sheep are? How sheep are so dumb, they'll stand right by the the stream and they'll thirst to death unless the shepherd shows them the water. Sheep are so dumb, they'll stand right beside food and they'll starve to death unless the shepherd points out the food to them. How many of you heard that before? Really? (laughs) I've always heard that. Maybe I was told wrong. (laughs) If that's the only comparison we ever make to how dumb and how pitiful sheep are, then we'll never be missional. You know why? Because we'll view ourselves that way. Poor, dumb sheep. We'll never get out of the pen because we'll feel like, well, we're just too poor and we're too dumb. To ever get out of the pen, we have to stay there where we can be constantly fed. That's ridiculous. Let me tell you this. As believers in Christ, we may be sheep, but we are neither poor nor dumb nor helpless. As believers in Christ, we may be sheep, but we are neither poor nor dumb nor helpless. How can we be dumb when Scripture says we have the mind of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that. How can we be helpless when Jesus promised, but the, whole, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We're not helpless. We have the Holy Spirit of God. Peter, the same Peter here on the beach, commissioned by Jesus, writes this in his second letter. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. By his divine power God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. We have God's spirit, we have God's power, We have God's help. We're not poor, pitiful, and helpless. Listen, I applaud anybody, any person who wants to study the Word of God, who wants to give themselves always to knowing more, studying more. Wonderful. People who want to be discipled for their whole life and be lifelong learners. Wonderful. But how much is enough? How much do you have to receive? Personally, answer that question. How much do you have to receive before you're willing to move out in ministry and mission and get about sheep feeding? Are you setting the bar higher for yourself than Jesus sets it? It's actually, in many ways, a way for us to never be missional in our lives. Well, I'm just never ready, Lord. Feed me a little bit more. Disciple me a little bit more then we never have to feed anyone else. We never have to get out of the pen. But sheep feeding isn't just about taking your place as one who must always be fed. It's about taking your place as one who is doing the feeding, one who is being missional. In fact, I'll say this. Until we are missional, and I'll believe with all my heart, until you and I are missional, till we get out of the pen, till we get out in the world, till we do something about the 83%, till we show our love for Jesus by caring for those he once cared for, we will be stunted and malnourished and pitiful. We'll be incomplete. Our souls are also fed when we are doing what Jesus has called us to do, which is feed my sheep. Why did Jesus once refuse food, the apostles? the disciples had brought to him. He was tired. Scripture says so. He was so tired that he sat down by a well and the disciples went on into the village to find food to bring back to Jesus. And when they brought the food back to Jesus, they urged Jesus to eat it. But Jesus didn't eat it. Instead, he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said, could someone else have brought Jesus food to eat? And Jesus knew that the disciples were reasoning, you know, well, he's tired, he's hungry. We went on to get food, but he won't eat. And so Jesus just says to them plainly, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, Jesus had just feasted. He had just fed his soul. He had satisfied a hunger greater than physical hunger because he had offered to the woman that he met at the well, life. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman replied, Sir, give me this water. And Jesus' soul was fed. I don't want to read too much of this woman's life. I know she had five husbands. I know the man she was living with was not her husband. Has to say something about her character, a woman with five husbands. Maybe she was a victim. Maybe it's her own personality. I don't know. How did those around her, how did her society treat her? Don't know. How did she view herself? What were her feelings of self-worth or the lack thereof? Don't know. Can't answer those questions. All we know is that Jesus did not withhold from her because she wasn't a sheep yet. Jesus didn't limit his feeding of those who are to only those already in the fold. Jesus saw her as a sheep, even though she wasn't yet in the fold. And we know that something happened in Jesus, spiritually, physically, as he shared words of life with this woman Feeding this sheep somehow fed the soul of Jesus. And so I believe it will be for you and for me, and we're done. I believe that we will be fed when we are actively involved in doing the feeding. I believe that we will flourish individually, that we will flourish as a church spiritually in ways that we will never flourish if we remain in the pen only. And never take, and never give, but only take. Don't put it off. What are you waiting for? Get out of the pen. Whatever you've already been given by the Lord, share that with someone else. We've got room here, look. 83% of people on the peninsula need to be in church somewhere. Why not here? And when we fill it up, fine. Then we'll start another, and another, and another. Jesus says clearly, if you love me, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you want sheep. Lord, we haven't even had time to talk about how amazing that is that that's the kind of God that you are, that you want people to come to you. You want people to be in your presence. You want people to experience eternal life. That's the kind of God you are. You don't withhold yourself from people. You want people to draw near to you. So for that, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for drawing us near to you. Thank you for calling us before the foundation of the world to be your sheep, to be in your fold, to receive your care, your tender care, your love, your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Father, now I pray that you would help us to respond to all that you've given to us. Lord, put it in our hearts, the desire that we will be missional people. Put it in our hearts, Lord, that we need to get out of the pen. We need to go into the world. You have other sheep. They're all around us. You want to bring them in. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the desire to be those people. Wherever we encounter them, Lord, not knowing the work that you have already begun in their lives, not knowing where they are in the process of coming to faith in you, give us that sheep radar, Lord, as we go out into the world. Give us a desire to feed your sheep wherever we find them. Feed our souls through it. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.